This is the weekend edition of the Code Report. Hi, this is the Core Report Weekend Edition. Today, we're calling our edition Decoding Macro Signals because we're going to be looking at two slightly different things, but they all eventually will interconnect, particularly for me and you who are citizens and who have to lead daily and normal lives. So let's look at the external signals first. As you know, exports from India have been going down. I will come to the numbers more specifically uh, a little later, but merchandise exports from India to the outside world have been going down. The reason for that, of course, is the global economy has slowed down, if not slowing further. The second signal, as we would like to call it, is the dollar itself, which is so strong that currencies across the world, or at least in many parts of the world, are themselves under pressure. So the Indian currency has actually held out much better, most people believe. But the fact is that it's still under pressure, and it's more than 83 rupees to a dollar right now. The third signal is oil prices, which is around $95 per barrel now, but could be heading to $100, as many have predicted and projected. So the outcome of that can be quite tricky, particularly if it crosses that $100 mark, which is also psychological. Another signal from outside is remittances, uh, money that comes from mostly Indians who work overseas and send it back to India. It was expected that those numbers would be strong this year, though it projected at the same time to stay in pace with the slowing economy. But the numbers are down and that obviously means it affects what is known as the current account deficit. And that is something that we should talk about in a bit. So these are some of the external signals. Internally, we are a little more conversant, I guess. Uh, inflation is at 6.83%. the overall inflation for last month. But when you look at issues like or areas like food inflation and within food, there are segments which have been under a lot of pressure. And the government is doing a lot of things, including blocking stock, stopping exports, and so on. But it's not really working beyond a point. So that's a pressure point. Another, obviously, is rains, which in turn is affecting, for example, commodities like sugar, and which is the latest of the commodities to be affected by sugar. And we've seen deficient rain, we've seen unseasonal rain, and essentially rainfall patterns have been unpredictable. And that itself has been predicted, that it's becoming more and more difficult to understand how rain is going. So these are some of the internal signals. The question, therefore, is now, what does all of this come together as and what does this become? So to do that, I'm joined by D.K. Joshi, Chief Economist at Bristol Ratings and someone who's obviously a very keen student of the economy and has been writing on many of these issues separately as well as together. D.K., thank you very much for joining me today. So let me start with the external signals and then we'll come to the internal signals. So tell us about what you are looking at very carefully amongst the three or four signals that we talked about, whether it's remittances or oil prices. And how does it all connect with the current account and deficit of India at this point or current account deficit in general? As you rightly pointed out, I think there is a lot of stress point emerging from the global economy and some of them are getting reflected in our external accounts. Although I would say that our external accounts are still reasonably healthy. I mean, the current account deficit is still in the safe zone. But yeah, it did come a little higher than expected. And I think there are two pressure points there. One is the merchandise trade deficit, which has been negative for a while. I think it's always been negative. But now I think with the slowdown in exports, the trade deficit tends to widen because imports are more sticky in nature. Now that is putting some pressure on current account deficit. And I think what was a bit uh, surprising was the remittance slowdown. There, I think if you look at the gross remittances, I think they haven't slowed down to that extent. It's the net. So there have been some outward flows also, I think, on the remittance front. 
and I think that has led to uh, net remittances which get into the current account. So they have slowed down a bit. So I would be watching this space. The remittance part has been reasonably strong in India, even during the COVID, after the COVID, the remittance flow has remained pretty strong. So I would not jump to the conclusion that the remittances are drying up as of now, but I think there is need for vigil on that front. The other thing is what the Western central banks are going to do, because inflation there is still not under control. And the aggressive tone from the Fed, from the ECB, I think they're all pointing towards rising interest rates. What matters most, of course, is the what the US Fed does. And as a consequence of aggressive tone from the Fed, the bond yields there have risen too much. So that means that the US bonds are becoming more attractive vis-a-vis -vis other economies. So that leads to capital outflows that strengthens the dollars. Dollar at the same time, I think, as a consequence of that, it also weakens other currencies. So we are watching that space right now. Currency volatility has been very well managed by RBI in the last fiscal year. I think if you see, that was also a big stress year. I think Russia-Ukraine conflict, oil prices going up to 129. And we still managed pretty reasonable volatility in the currency, unlike the taper tantrum or during the global financial crisis. So I think the strong kitty with the RBI does give it some flexibility to manage the currency in an orderly fashion. The one thing that needs very close monitoring and which we are very exposed to is what happens to the oil. Despite slowdown in the global economy, I think the prices of oil are rising. And that's because of uh, geopolitical reasons, the supply cuts by uh, countries like Saudi Arabia, Russia, etc., so which can maintain a pressure on oil. As I said, we import so much of oil, I think that makes us extremely vulnerable to movements because it can hit your current account deficit, it can hit your fiscal deficit, it can cause inflation to go up. So there are many side effects of high oil prices that tend to play out whenever I think the oil prices go up and they remain there for a sustained period. So the key issue is not how much they're going to rise, but how long are they going to stay? Because last year also oil prices rose, but they didn't stay at that level for too long. A transitory pickup in oil prices is still manageable because our external obligations still continue to be reasonably under control. To pick up on oil specifically, so it's about $95 now. Is there a danger mark that you would look for? I think oil sustaining at above 90 levels, I think, creates a lot of stress for us. Just to give you an example, there have been some calculations done on that. If oil prices go up by $10 a barrel, what happens is the current account deficit goes up by a 0.4 percentage points, which is 40 basis points. So CAD to GDP will go up by 40 basis points. Similarly, I think same increase in oil prices reduces the GDP growth by 20 basis points. So clearly, I think there are strong effects. So every $10 a barrel is likely to have a symmetrical effect on the economy. Now, what might happen is that we may not pass on all the oil price increases into the economy. So you may keep inflation somewhat under control, but then your fiscal deficit will be under pressure because somebody has to subsidize that. So what's the greater evil, if one can say so, or what's the lesser evil in this? You have to basically balance what happens when oil prices go up. Its impact is either borne by the, the consumers which is the everything is passed on to the end consumer or by the government, which means that they will raise their fiscal deficit or by the oil marketing companies, which will reduce their profits. So what happens is depending on where you are positioned, 
the burden gets shared by different participants. So at this juncture, I think my sense is that burden will be shared less by the consumer because you are in a pole bound year and more by government and by oil marketing companies if oil prices uh, remain high. I think that there's a big if there. Now, just to put things in context for our listeners and viewers and readers as well, why is a high current account deficit an area of concern? Well, current account deficit is a signal of external vulnerability. Just as fiscal deficit is an area of concern for the domestic economy, for the external account, current account deficit is a key matrix. If you have current account deficit, I think you are more susceptible to volatility in capital flows. You are more susceptible to currency weakening. I think just to give you an example, during the taper tantrum period, we had a high current account deficit. And that is what made us more vulnerable because higher the current account deficit means you need more money from abroad to finance it. And I think that makes you more vulnerable. The lower it is, the less vulnerable you are. So I think for India, below 2.5% of GDP is considered more or less in the safe zone. Once it starts rising above that level, I think it starts becoming a concern. You've also touched upon our falling merchandise exports, though our service exports are still strong, which is really IT companies and their exports. So is that something that we can park aside for the time being? Because in any case, there's not much we can do, isn't it? So what's happening, we did some work on our export trends. Service exports, yes, I think we have a surplus. It sometimes moves up, sometimes moves down. But the merchandise, we always have our deficit. Now, within merchandise, I think the trend is a little discomforting because our exports to US and Europe have remained reasonably strong compared to Asia. Asia is the fastest growing part of the world. So I think our exports slowing down to Asia much faster than slowing down to the West is something that needs to be corrected over a medium term. In the near term, I think with the global growth slowing down, your exports will be hit. That happens every time. So in the near term, you can do much about it. But over the, over the longer term, I think we need to correct this imbalance. Just to give you an example, share of exports to Asia-Pacific region has fallen from close to 34% in FY19 to around 26% right now. So that's a, quite a sharp fall in the share. And this is to the fastest growing part of the world. So that's why I think this needs to be reversed. And do we know why that's happening? It's quite broad-based. One reason is that we are not part of any major uh, regional trade agreement. So what we have done is we have done FTAs with many countries who are part of these agreements. Uh, the benefit of that will play out over some period. But I think the benefits that you get from being a part of an overall free trade agreement I think you possibly don't get from uh, individual free trade agreement. So that's a likely hypothesis. I think we need to see how it plays out. Because what's really interesting is that we are part of one free trade agreement with ASEAN. And our trade has done reasonably well there. I think even exports are holding up there. So let's come to the internal uh, signals, uh, DK. So we talked about inflation, which of course we're all tracking quite keenly. The new data point I forgot to mention is uh, savings and uh, household savings or the proportion of that to GDP have fallen. Obviously, the proportion is also as important as the absolute. So, before I come to any specific questions, what are the internal signals that you are watching very carefully and the danger marks, if any? Well, I think one is uh, we are watching inflation closely uh, because of two reasons. Uh, one, uh, the food inflation part, which you alluded to. Now, within food inflation, the vegetable inflation has already connected, by the way. And I think the tomatoes are selling at around 10%. 
at 10 rupees a kg they were almost 200 250 rupees a kg about two months back so that part vegetable part which is very volatile has corrected now the issue is with the cereals and pulses where i think in pulses we have area sown which is much lower than last year and overall sown area is only slightly above last year's level so you need to expand your yields to maintain growth in kharif production so now with the monsoons which are abnormal I think that becomes difficult. This is an El Nino year. The El Nino effect will continue towards the end of the year. So the concern is both on the Kharif output and also on the Rabi output because the reservoir levels are also a bit lower than what they were last year. So I think agriculture will remain a key monitorable and the government will have to play a very important role in ensuring up the supplies in agriculture and keeping a lid on the prices. The other worry that emerges, the food inflation, you rightly said, I think the overall inflation is 6.8. Actually, that will come to below 6% when the September data comes out. But the worry is if the fuel inflation actually picks up the baton from the food, I think then you have another trigger. The central banks typically don't worry about the supply shocks unless they are sustained. I mean, which means that if food inflation remains high, if crude-led fuel inflation remains high, then it tends to become generalized because the fuel inflation definitely raises the consumer inflation directly and also indirectly because your transportation costs, your production costs, all of this tend to go up. So the worry for the central bank is that the shock that is coming from the supply side, it should not get generalized. So they have to be on the vision on that front. Second, I think uh, savings, yes, I think it did come lower than expected, but I must point out that this is only the financial savings part of the household savings. Household savings are close to 60% of the total savings in India. The corporates also contribute to savings and government doesn't save anything. They dissave because they run a deficit. So what we know right now is only the financial part of the savings, which has fallen. And the physical savings are likely to have gone up because the liabilities of the households have also gone up. And they are buying houses, they are buying automobiles, etc., etc. So clearly, the gross savings have not fallen that much as the net savings have fallen. So let me take a minute to explain what I'm saying. Uh, gross savings are the overall savings of the households. Then what goes into the savings rate is the net savings. So you have to take the liabilities that households have created out, which means the borrowings. The liabilities of the households have risen pretty sharply. As a result, the net savings have fallen extremely sharply. Now, the data for physical savings and other parts of the savings will take time to come. My intelligent guess is that the household physical savings are likely to have gone up because the savings have been moving up and down quite a bit ever since the pandemic struck. What happened during the pandemic year saw very little opportunity for the households. So they saved a lot. The financial savings really shot up and went above the physical savings. After that, the financial savings started coming down. The physical savings started going up. And now with the asset prices also going up, there seems to be a trend towards physical savings. My sense is that this will correct itself. But yeah, financial savings falling is a matter of concern because they are usually preferred over physical savings. They can be much easily intermediated for investments in the economy. So that is the second signal that we are looking at. Right. So on the physical versus financial savings, for instance, over the weekend, you know, we've been seeing reports on home sales in India hitting record highs for this quarter, which is usually a slower quarter. So is this linked? 
yeah, it is linked. See, people also want hedge against inflation. So they go in for gold, they go in for physical assets. If physical assets are appreciating in value, I think then they return back to the physical savings. Actually, government has been taking steps to wean households more towards financial savings. And to some extent, this has also happened because we had financial inclusion that promotes financial savings. And then there are a lot of savings in post office or savings in bank deposit. There are various avenues, including stock market. So you need to keep inflation low and deficit under check to, to raise savings over a long period of time. If inflation is in check, then consumers don't feel the need to look for hedges against inflation. So you talked about on the internal side, we talked about savings and the distinction between physical and uh, financial. And we are, I guess, saying that what we're seeing right now is not necessarily bad. It's just a different pathway for the savings, which could also come back in some time. And of course, we've talked about inflation. Is there anything else that we should be watching out for in the internal front? Well, I think these are the two major variables that popped up uh, recently. They also caused a lot of curiosity. I am not too worried about on the fiscal front. Actually, government borrowing for the second half of the year is as they had budgeted. So there's no risk on the fiscal front right now. The risks are largely external in nature, which can mess up the math. Right. And as you look at now the whole basket, what is it that we should be more worried about? So these two or three external factors, the two or three internal factors, what is obviously more in our control and what is not? For example, oil is not, nor is how the global economy will uh, grow or continue to import from us. So logically, that's more an area of concern. But how are you seeing it, at least from a lay citizen's point of view, or to some extent a lay citizen's point of view, when you look at the composite now, or the full basket? Overall, we do believe India will do well this year. I think uh, with the assumption that oil averages between 80 to 85, we project around 6% GDP growth. Inflation, which is somewhat higher, I think, than what was initially expected. We have a projection of 5.5%. So you need to be keep the vigil on inflation. It's not a cause of alarm. I think none of these are causing alarm right now. Only if the shock accentuates, I think then they will worry. So as I pointed out, it's time for more vigilance. I think less alarm right now. You need to watch the signals closely. The other part is the private investment cycle. It needs to take the pattern from the government because government has been accelerating investments. It can't do it forever. I mean, so private investment should accelerate going ahead. And we know that in uncertain environment, I think, which all these shocks are creating, the private investment is a little cautious. So we watched the private investment part also pretty closely. It was getting broad-based and uh, we do expect that over the next couple of years, the conditions are still ripe for private investments to continue on a stronger footing because government can't support from the investment side. I think they have done more than enough, I think, in the last two, three years. And uh, just to sort of close it off, so are you expecting some of these numbers, particularly domestic, uh, because you did mention that, including inflation, to now cool off a little more? We have a forecast of uh, inflation at 5.7% for September, which is lower than August, so which will make the second quarter inflation at 6.6%. After that, I think in the second half of the year, with certain assumptions on oil, etc., we expect inflation to average around 5.4%. So clearly, I do see inflation coming down, but the central bank wants inflation at 4%, and we are still away from that target. So the, the central bank will also maintain vigil on that front and you will, I think in the upcoming policy, 
in October, we will see rates being maintained where they are, stance remaining, withdrawal of accommodation, and rates remaining higher for longer, which essentially means that we will not see rate cuts in this fiscal year. In the beginning of the next fiscal is when we are penciling some rate cuts. At, uh, DK, thank you so much for joining me on the Core Report uh, Weekend Edition for this special uh, macro view. Thank you. Thank you, Govind. This was the Core Report with me, Govind Raj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at the Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening. <laughs>